time travel, sci-fi adventures, and risky rolls of the dice lie ahead. Hello and welcome to Anywhere But Now, a Doctor Who actual play podcast. I'm your host and GM, Casey Jones. The next hour and a half or so holds a thrilling adventure in time and space. So let's dive in. With me is the daring crew of our time-traveling machine. Playing the fixer is the charming and resourceful Brand Osorio. Hello, Brand. Hello. And joining him is Maeve Sullivan, played by the ebullient Kate McCoyne. Welcome back, Kate. Hey there. And finishing the TARDIS team is Pandora Beatrix as the delightfully chaotic Calamity Hap. Bonjour. Namaste. Namaste. Are you all excited? You feel that energy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can feel it. Yes. <laughs> we play with the second edition of Cubicle 7's Doctor Who rulebooks. House rules mean our players begin the game with five, count them five story points each. So they're not empty-handed, but don't have an embarrassment of riches either. Get ready for a collaborative, immersive storytelling experience and stick around after the game for interviews with the players. A bigger on the inside thank you to our listeners. Time is truly a gift or it wouldn't be the present. We thank you for spending yours with us. If you like what you hear, leave a review, rate the show, and follow us on Twitter at AnywhereButNow, underscore at the end. Share the show with your friends. Word of mouth is a huge help. This fine TARDIS crew have no idea what they're heading into. For today's adventure, they have not been told so much as the title of the mod. Until now, that is. Welcome to Graveyard of the Gods. Brought to you wherever you're listening in time and space, this is Anywhere But Now! TARDIS. The entire TARDIS crew is puttering around the console room. It's been a couple of days since your last adventure, and the dust, so to speak, has settled. Fixer, you have had the initiative to either return the Scepter of Attrition to Gallifrey, or drop it in a convenient black hole for <laughs> to keep it out of any hands whatsoever. And I'm curious, which option has the Fixer taken with a doomsday weapon like the Scepter of Attrition? Does it seem like I could use this technology to actually begin the knitting process for Rifts? That is a very, very good question. I don't think the Scepter itself is going to be something that useful. Like, as powerful as this thing is, it is also like a sledgehammer in terms of might and focus. And rift damage, which thankfully there isn't any around, might require something more like a scalpel and sutures than let's just hit it with the with the force of friction and see what happens. Well, then I probably would spend a, at least two days studying it to see what information I can get from it in mm -hmm. building a new piece of technology for that purpose, and then drop it off at Gallifrey, where hopefully 
they can keep it safe. Oh, wow. Okay. Give us an intuition and technology role at the TARDIS console to see what you have been able to glean about how this Gallifreyan tech actually works. You are going to be at an advantage because you're using Gallifreyan tech to study Gallifreyan tech. Perfect. And we're trying to beat a difficulty of 18. Barely made it with a five and a five on the dice for a total of 18. With no magic numbers on the dice, you are able to pierce the veil of how exactly the scepter of attrition works underneath all the bigger on the inside technology that's been crammed into this thing and the power source at its heart. With enough time, with enough compiling of the TARDIS computers, it is possible However unlikely that the TARDIS itself might be able to, with its force fields and its own eye of harmony where it draws its power, it might be possible to use the TARDIS's force fields and its own forces of gravity, etc., in the future to implement that kind of technology. So, well done. Fixer, at a story point, you have gone above and beyond handling Gallifreyan tech. Today on the TARDIS, the espresso mat hisses away as Calamity is puttering around the console room. Calamity, you've seen a companion dead and left behind. Someone who didn't make it and wasn't missed. What's Calamity feel about that? She's a, she's a little, you know, she's a little unsettled, but uh, because she had pinned a lot of her life hopes on, on a Time Lord in general, but, um, but it just turns out that again, even Time Lords, is something that is subject to to the whims of whoops and you know there are there are good ones and there are less good ones so you know calamity found a good one and that's just what whoops wanted to have that's just what whoops wanted to happen there it is mave you have just left one of the tardis arboretums it's very soothing in there it's nice to get close to some nature. You took a thermos full of latte. You've gotten through some very personal fears recently with the mimes underneath Sweet Fortune. They've triggered more dreams of being pursued through the dark. You've had a couple of days to recuperate. Where is Maeve's head at? I think Maeve is very interested in these dreams and is trying, like maybe with a journal or a sketchbook, to draw out. Mm-hmm what she's seeing in her dreams mm-hmm. and uh, make it clear. I think Maeve is under the impression that if you can see the thing you're scared of, then you don't have to be scared of it anymore because it's right there. That is a bold philosophy. You know what? Give us a coordination, since this is drawing, and intuition role to see what you've been able to sketch in your journal of dreams. Difficulty of... 12 to capture any kind of distinct shape. Coordination intuition. Oh, that's a six and a five for a total of 17. That's really nice. Maeve has been sketching in her journal and it's been a lot of dark shadows and then there are shapes in the shadows outlined and delineated in them. You are able to sketch from your dreams. There are wide, fat bricks on the walls, a trickle of water under your feet as you're running, fleeing through some kind of underground structure. 
from the glimpses in your dream. And it's strange because the dream is actually in this desaturated, almost colorless, but when Maeve looks behind her in her dreams, she sees something just rolling towards her through the dark and you can almost make out. It's not smooth, it's not fur, it's it's this weird bumpy thing that is coming after you with this great and terrible eye that is right in the center of its forehead. And that is as far as you've been able to get. Well, Maeve's hypothesis has been disproven. So she shuts her book <laughs> and goes to find the fixer. Fixer? Yes. Number one, I find it hilarious that you found a way to do extra credit on a homework assignment from the Time Lords and <laughs> studied the attrition scepter left and right. Well done. But uh, in terms of leaving Gallifrey behind, Fixer, you have recently faced an old friend, your oldest friend. And from the sound of things, you are destined to run into him again. How is the Fixer doing with that? I think the most heartbreaking part is simply the fact that such a dear, dear person who I really thought was really devoted to the doctoral program is swatting human lives like they were mayflies, I believe you refer to them as, mm -hmm. which just breaks my heart. The other one's okay, but one of them is like broken right in half. Gotcha. Understood. The auditor sidles up beside you near the console with a caffeinated beverage in hand. Puts it on the cup holder near a post-it note. Reach down, pick it up, begin gently sipping it. Thank you. I, I don't know if I, I could have gotten through this without your support. The auditor glances over his shoulder at Calamity in the console room and Maeve, who happens to step through one of the hatches and says, well, we didn't come through it alone at all. I am sorry that this has hit you so hard. It is never pleasant to discover that someone you had a great deal of admiration and respect for has different motivations than we'd hoped. However, I thought of something that might take your mind off it. He hands you a scroll, doctoral program, extra credit. Ooh. The TARDIS has already materialized in a quadrant of space that contains the solar system of the extinct Osiren race. The home planet of the Osirens used to orbit this sun, this solar system, but it has been missing now for centuries and no one has any clue where it went. Similar to how nautical students and marine biologists might pass time mapping a quadrant of the ocean floor just to get the topography of it, time lords in the program can hop out here and spend a day mapping a quadrant looking for that missing planet. You are not expected to find it. Other students have, you know, come in here, mapped out a little mini block and returned empty-handed. This is the fixer's opportunity. Well, this looks really, really exciting. And no one's found it yet? Not yet. We might be the first ones to find it? Ooh, that's exciting. Maeve, Calamity, I have some amazing news. What, what is, is it? it? So, the people who hand down assignments from the doctoral program just gave us one of the most exciting extra credit assignments I think I've ever heard of. We're literally going to be looking for the Osirens. What's an Osiren? What's like, ooh, well, I guess it would be like, oh, oh, oh. Not a siren. Oh, siren. The oh, sirens. I'm still lost. They're even older than the Time Lords. 
the auditor is nodding up and down, vibrating, like his chin is just like, oh my, yes, it's absolute. It's one of the great mysteries of the cosmos. They've been around and mucking about with time and the forces of existence for just ages and ages, and then, whoop, vanished, wiped out, completely gone. The auditor goes on to explain other Time Lords have figured out roughly when the Osirens were wiped out what they did not figure out was what happened to the actual planet. Like there should still be a planet somewhere and there's just been no sign of it whatsoever. Fixer, give us an ingenuity and technology scan versus uh, difficulty of 16 to scan the quadrant that you have materialized in. Calamity, Maeve, you are welcome to assist if you so wish. Maeve will help for what it's worth. <laughs> Okay, I know we do things a little differently here. Like if one character wanted to help, they could add a, a, a two to someone else's role and that's never really felt significant enough to me. Maeve, at disadvantage on the TARDIS console, also use your ingenuity and technology, please, versus the same 16 to try and help out uh, the fixer. Well, obviously I am so excited and so distracted by the mm. idea of finding the Osiris because I got a one and a two on the dice. <laughs> so. <laughs> For a total of 10. I got a 16 total with a 6 and a 2 on the dice. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's absolutely fantastic. So, the fixer is so excited to be doing this particular project, just tapping buttons across the console, and things start to shut off. Following you around the console circle, Maeve pokes one button and flicks a switch, not really knowing what the hell they do. <laughs> <laughs> and the scanners boop, 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 turn right back on. Fixed it. We have some super mixed results. <laughs> awesome. Mave and Fixer, your scanners are currently being jammed by a ship that's approaching at high speed. Um, Fixer, the scanner, it's not reading anything. I'm not sure why. It's back on now. It looks like something's jamming us. Huh. On purpose? Does it appear to be a jamming signal that's just an all-call jamming signal, as in going out in all directions from that ship, or being aimed directly at our ship? From the six on the dice that Maeve managed, this ship is jamming you specifically because you are in range. There is a squeak of intercom static as you are being hailed. Activate the communication device so everyone can hear what's being uh, sent to us. An unpleasant, raspy voice comes in a little too loud over the speakers. Attention, clock shop. We have you in our sights. This is Captain Bornable Chase of the Rusty Buzzard. Prepare to be boarded. And on the scanner screen, a ship fly out of the shadow of one of the moons. And this nasty cruiser-sized ship has claws that sprout out from its forefront. Start making micro adjustments targeting your clock shop. You have about 30 seconds to respond before they try to attack. Space pirates, nice. <laughs> so are we going to like let them come aboard or are we just gonna leave? I'll actually leave that up to you. If you'd like to repel borders, I'm sure that we can. <laughs> Alternately, we could try a diplomatic route, but I find that negotiating with pirates usually costs us something. Calamity pulls her squirt gun full of vinegar out of her jumpsuit. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, you you may want your stun baton too. Oh, sure. That's in my bunk. Hang on. 
Well, Calamity seems so excited to repel borders that I'm gonna have to contact them back and say, Captain Bonable Jace, prepare for a counterboarding. We don't do counterboarding, sweetie. We take what we want, and if you're lucky, we leave you alive! And next to them, a little bald-headed person sticks their head in, into the into the screen. Like, you tell him, Captain. That's what we do. That sounds very reasonable. We offer you the same terms. Like, if they're successful pirates, they should have some treasure, right? Exactly right, Calamity. Oh, I do like the idea of treasure. Captain Bonable Jace. Her face fills the contact screen. And this person has skipped a couple of meals. They are missing a, a tooth or two. And there is a long scar traced down one of their eyes that has been replaced with a glowing red implant. Captain Jace rubs her hands together and one of them appears to have been replaced with some kind of mechanical fist and just eyes the interior of the TARDIS console room. Oh, that lovely chick. And they fire a pair of grabber arms fire off the front of the ship and literally clamp onto both sides of your TARDIS. Because this is no bigger than a watch shop, a tiny little kiosk, the claws grab onto both sides and alarms start to go off above and below. The TARDIS does not like being grabbed physically, let alone by something that could be backed up by tractor beams or anything like that. And you hear a hard winching as the arms start to pull you closer and closer into the rusty buzzard. How hard would it be, since I've been studying the uh, staff for the last couple of days, mm -hmm. and trying to specifically figure out how to replicate some of its powers using the TARDIS, mm -hmm. how hard would it be to use that technology to reverse the thrust coming out of the buzzard. So the more they pull us in, the more backwards they go. It would be difficult to apply friction to their thrust. I think it might be easier to try and apply friction to the clamps or the tethers to those clamps so that as they are pulled back, they undergo their own strain and duress. That's closer than trying to do something to the thrusters on this thing. That sounds like fun too, let's do that. That is going to be an ingenuity and technology roll versus 18 to try and damage the clamps and the cables attached to them, trying to pull you closer to the rusty buzzard. Well, before I roll, I would like to use two story points. This is going to assist your roll and bring you up two levels of success, but for something like freeing the ship, it is only going to be so helpful. Okay, I got a six and a four on the dice for a total of 18. <laughs> so, yes, exterior of the TARDIS, these long metallic cables attached to these clamps from the watches in the watch shop, the faces of the watches start to swing back and forth as a light beam concentrates from them, waves out against the claws and the, the, the cables on this thing, and from inside, the ship, you can actually see little bits of iron and steel flake off the cables until alarms are going off over the comms in the rusty buzzard. The first mate is heard squawking around in the background is like, we got some problem with the clams, Captain. What's going on out there? And she's barking orders. Even though it's in space, there's an air pocket around the TARDIS so that there is a beautiful snap 
as the cables are rent in two, the TARDIS, since it's trying to resist the pull of this thing, suddenly pulls back with the same additional force that it no longer needs. The TARDIS is trying to flee the rusty buzzers as it still has these clamps ripped onto it, trailing behind these flapping cables. The buzzard gives chase. Fixer, you, Calamity, and Maeve are at the console. The alarms are still going off, and the buzzard is giving chase. I would like to pull close enough to the sun's gravity well, so that way as they swoop in to try to capture us, we can try to catch them in it and then use the loop around to whip back out. Oh, that's fantastic. This is gonna be navigation, so give us coordination and technology, say difficulty of 18. Very nice. Okay, we got a three and a six on the dice. I get, that brings me up to a nine. I get to add six to that, so that only brings me up to a 15, unfortunately. You man the controls and you've got this, this hot, hot idea about using the sun's gravitational pull against them. And you are making it happen and the TARDIS spins around. And that's when the scanners make a confused noise of a On the screen is another clock shop with clamps around it, with cables spinning as it goes around and you have all of four seconds to realize that's not another ship that's your reflection and past it the buzzard is charging right for you your TARDIS and the whip round of the cables tear through a reflective membrane and the TARDIS just keeps flying and the buzzard chases right after it. From space, it looks like the TARDIS has just torn through reflective space and vanished, and the buzzard, going too fast to change course, has followed it right through the tear. And because Captain Bonneville Chase was a bit of an edgelord when they were designing their ship, it is covered with spikes and sharp bits and all sorts of things that only tear the fabric that you guys have just crashed through even more. The confused sound from the TARDIS has stopped. The alarms have been replaced with, we are now in the gravitational pull of a body in space and are crashing. <laughs> Brace for impact. Give us another coordination and transportation roll. Can I slap a couple buttons and help? You absolutely can slap a couple buttons and help. Maeve, you are at disadvantage using the TARDIS controls. What is Calamity doing in this in this moment? Uh, she's actually been uh, trying to reassure the TARDIS that's like, okay, so I know that was uncomfortable, but later when all this is done, we will get those like finders keepers, right? So those, those claw things, those are yours now. We'll just, you know, we'll get those installed and then you can you can grab things with claws if, if they upset you, right? <laughs> I love this idea. I love this idea. Calamity, give us a presence and convince roll versus twelve because you've done you've done this kind of comforting to the TARDIS before. I have the averages roll of average two threes for a total of fifteen. The alarm's quiet because you have convinced the TARDIS light, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have grabbers now. That's what I'm gonna have. Fixer and Maeve, what did you guys roll? At a difficulty of 18. Ah, uh, well, it is the averagest average that could ever average on the dice. Mm. And uh, a total, unfortunately, of 11. And I got a two and a one for an eight total. <laughs> Maybe we can all get exciting prosthetics. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think Maeve 
is just holding on and kind of like trying not to scream and just reaches out and slaps the first button that she sees. That's about as far as it goes. Beautiful. <laughs> I need a coordination roll from everyone present to avoid injury as the ship crashes. The averagest average will at least ensure that you land bottom side down. So the TARDIS will, will be upright when it finally lands. But this is going to be a difficulty of 15 to stay on your feet in a high speed crash. Coordination and athletics? Coordination and athletics, sure. Yeah, the auditor has no athletics, so he goes flying. I got a four and a five for a 12. Can I spend a story point to just hold on to the rail and stay upright and scream really loudly? Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> you absolutely can. A four and a five for a total of 14. Um, okay. I'm gonna be more distracted trying to make sure the, the uh, companions are okay. Uh, I have nothing special and I have a 10, but I, I would like to spend a story point for a, for a, a yes but. So yes, you, you managed to keep one foot on the ground, but do not hurt yourself. Well done. You are not injured because there were no ones on those dice. I think Maeve is just hanging on to the, the, the guide bar as their legs go flying because things don't weigh anything in a free fall. Fixer might be able to put a hand on their back to sort of like uh, guide them back down uh, so that they can like land in some kind of not hurting ourselves fashion. And then suddenly there is just a and the whole thing shudders. The lights stay on, but they blink, and there's just a low rattle of the shock absorbers settling out the damage before the TARDIS resumes its normal levels of light. Just a skosh down. Is everyone okay? Uh, I think. Are you okay? I'm, I'm all right. Oh, good. Not our worst landing yet. Not our worst landing, but one of our best crashes. Oh, definitely top 10 crashes, yes. Uh, the TARDIS may be a bit bruised. We should maybe look outside, I guess. I assume we've crashed onto something. A couple of seconds later, you hear another loud <laughs> The rusty buzzard crashes onto the same whatever that you have. Oh, and we have company. Well, so far, their attempt to board us has failed. And our counterboarding has resulted in them crashing, so I think we're at an advantage. I think that puts it at like one zero, something like that. One knot, Time Lords, Team Tardis. We have to go <laughs> charge them while they're not expecting it. Is there air outside? Start checking. Give us a scanny scan. This is going to be a difficulty of 12 with ingenuity and technology, please. Oh no. Oh no. Uh, a one and a one for a total of 10. The scanners go dead <laughs> and begin self-repairing. We may have taken a little more damage in that crash than I expected, so I'm gonna walk outside and see if we need air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. That is definitely a test. That is one way to find out. The fixer pushes open the TARDIS console room door and steps into the watch shop. The whole shop has been turned upside down. None of the watches are still on their hooks. There's gonna be a major cleanup later. And somehow the glass in the panes is only like lightly cracked. There might be some chips on the paint and we're certain that this is surface damage that can be repaired and, and mended, but for right now, the watch shop looks a little dinged up. I would like to grab the nicest looking watch that I've been working on and pop it into my pocket as I walk out to survey the breathable air or lack of breathable air. 
When the fixer looks up from taking out a pocket watch and tucking it into his waistcoat, you look through the glass of the TARDIS and step out. You have landed on a flat black glass plane. As far as you can see, there are hexagonal little black discs on the ground, neatly seamed together like paving stones, and they go off as far as the eye can see in every direction. You look behind you and see that the landscape south of where your TARDIS has landed is littered with crashed and gutted spacecraft, like the ones you see in the image here, of ships that fell into the exact same accidental trap that you did of flying through a surface and crashing on something they didn't know was there. Looking up towards the sky, do we see the hole that we entered through or however we entered? You look skyward. It is almost completely opaque. What you see overhead is a reflective black surface. There isn't a whole lot of light to reflect bouncing off the surface of the planet right now. But what you do see is a colossal gash, a giant tear in the fabric overhead through which not only you can see starlight, but I'd say at least half of the, the sun that this planet happens to be orbiting. And that light shimmers on the black glass hexagons at your feet. Hmm, interesting. Is the air breathable? Stale but breathable, yes. It appears to support the life of bipeds. Excellent, go back in and grab some companions. <laughs> I have great news. You should be able to breathe without a problem. Oh, that is great news. Where are we? All right. Yes, let's go find treasure. <laughs> so where exactly is this place? I think we may have actually already succeeded in our extra credit. Wait, you mean we found Space Atlantis? <laughs> Come on out. you got to see this. I have not seen such a wide variety of sentient built starships in such a long time. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them are pretty damaged, but it's kind of majestic too. Beyond the TARDIS is a sea of wasted hulks, empty ships that could have been there for hundreds of years. What I would love from our sharp-eyed team is an awareness roll. Please give us awareness and intuition, please, versus a 12, but the higher, the better. Only got a 10 with a two and a three on the dice. That is double sixes for me for a 19. Ever the investigator. I've got an 11 with nothing special. Okay. Fixer and Calamity are both taking in the micro. These strange discs under your feet. They are surprisingly sturdy too. Like, like a couple might have been crushed underneath when the TARDIS crashed into it. But by and far around you, the plane is flat and smooth. Maeve is the first to turn her head behind you guys. This vast black plane is dotted with ships before and behind. The rusty buzzard has crashed just about where you can make out the mouse on the map. Beyond the black glass hexagons appear to be a city. Maeve described it as the lost city of Atlantis and you're not far off because behind this tall wall is a city of black glass and steel. You'd swear Egyptian decor. Like there are pyramids 
behind the wall of various sizes that took heaven knows how long to build. Maeve, with your double sixes, there is pretty much nothing you did not notice. And two of the things you notice, the hexagons on the floor are not just sparkling. They appear to be flashing. Little LEDs are starting to awaken and glow underneath the surface of the glass, reflecting the light from above. And because they are starting to light up, you are the first to notice the scratch marks in the glass. I will lean down and examine one of these scratch marks. You get closer down to the ground and see scratch marks, and not just a scratch mark, two of them, a trail of them that lead off something with a foot span of about three quarters of a foot wide. Something has left little scratch marks in the glass traveling back and forth. And you can, now that you look around and more light is warming up the glass panels under your feet, you can make out other scratch marks litter the glasscape in single file lines to the ships behind you and the ships ahead of you. I think whatever crashed here went there and I'll point to the city. Oh, well, that's large. They left all these scratch marks on the glass. Quite large. Scratch marks? Why is the ground made out of glass? Like, is this a planet or a really big space station? It's really not the best choice for a flow material. Calamity, that's a great question. Calamity, give us coordination and intuition versus a difficulty of, let's call it 10. Trying to pick up one of these these plates on the ground. I have a 12 with nothing special. Great. You ask, what is the ground made of? And because there are a couple of disturbed pieces on the floor from where the TARDIS crashed, you are able to actually just dig your fingernails in under the seam of one and just pick it up and have in your hands a dinner plate sized black hexagon. Turn it over and underneath is circuitry that lays flat against the exposed circuitry that you have just pried it up from. What kind of technology points does Calamity have? She's uh, She's got two and okay. she's, tech, she's tech level six. So. Do you want to spend a story point? Yes, to, to know interesting things, always. You've never seen one quite like this before, but if you didn't know better, you'd swear you were holding a solar panel. Like this thing is super advanced. Like you just lay it down and it just, it starts soaking up energy and sending it off. So, right, I guess, you know, trying, well, that's sort of weird though, because there wasn't any light until we ripped a hole in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. So. What? So they have solar panels with nothing, you know, to solve them. The ribbon of torn space overhead fills the black panes under your feet. The LEDs that flickered and have started to warm up since you crashed start to get brighter and just a little bit brighter. The city beyond the wall, it starts out looking like it's just smooth black glass and steel all over, but little by little, you see lights start to come on under the, the surface in what could be a city. It's very slow and it's very gradual. Once Calamity mentions that they're solar panels, I'll take a quote closer look, mm-hmm. look up towards again the ribbon in the sky that w- was ripped and mm-hmm. say, somebody put a lot of effort into making sure that these solar panels weren't activated. That covering isn't organic. So you think somebody hid this place or a lot of somebody's? Somebody either hid it or tried to cut it off from the sun that was powering it. Maybe 
they wanted to hide? Maybe they did it themselves? Then they would have planned for some element of the, uh, the material you see in the sky to be translucent, to allow some sunlight to come in for power purposes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's other ways of getting power, right? They could have a blah, blah, blah energy thing under, underneath, right? They could have a blah, blah energy thing underneath. <laughs> I've heard great things about blah, blah energy. <laughs> That's a great point, Calamity. Can we do a quick scan to see if there are any blah blah energy sources or other energy sources located inside the city? You are a bit of far away from the city. You could do a wide, broad scan and see what you pick up. This is going to be ingenuity plus technology plus two for the Sonic. Fixer, I'm going to say you're at advantage because this was the extra credit assignment. <laughs> I do want to be clear, though, that when Calamity says blah blah, she is saying blah blah. It is not Dora making a placeholder. <laughs> oh, yes. And when I said blah blah, I was I was literally just trying to follow along. Okay, we're looking at a three and a four on the dice for a total of 17. You give a broad scan across the terrain. Your Sonic comes back with all sorts of information. It confirms that the solar panels under your feet are indeed transferring solar power more or less directly to the city and other subsystems beneath it. You also get a reading of a couple of the other ships nearby that appear to have independent power sources like backup power running on the lowest of settings. The scan you're getting of very low backup power is emanating from that large cannonball shaped ship off to the east and you are getting readings of power rising higher slowly very very slowly behind the city walls your sonic is actually it tells you that it cannot read through uh the fabric that is covering like a tent in terms of size of amounts of fabric some larger flatter ship off to the west And because you had the foresight to actually ensure that the claws and the tethers on them were attached to your TARDIS when you crashed, there are bits, there are swathes of that same opaque, metallic, mercury-like shimmer of the fabric stuck like an almost scarf-sized swatches to the sharp bits on the claws, which comically and fall off the TARDIS on both sides. Does it look like there's enough material attached to the claws that we could cover up the solar panels that seem to be activated by our arrival? That's a great question. I'm going to say no. Between here and the doorway to the city, I would say is roughly at least half of a football field. So we're talking like a good 50 yards or so. And the little bits described as like scarf-sized swatches would not be enough to cover it up. Do they seem like they have sharp edges? Calamity picks up two pieces of fabric that is completely soft, practically wafer thin. Excellent. And when you're holding the two pieces, there's a reaction and a shiver and they connect to each other. So now you've got one slightly larger piece. This material is reactive and it it wants to be one piece. Neat. I will wear it as a scarf. Amazing. Calamity add a story point. You are the second person ever to take a swatch and turn it into a scarf of some kind. 
I mean, when you have something that is the size of a scarf, it's the obvious thing to do. Mm-hmm. You throw it on and it just stays that reflective silver. It looks like you're draped in some extremely rich material that is otherwise just shiftless, flat, and reflective. If you put this material on something, would it hide it? Or is it, does it not work like that? I'm picturing this like uh, like an invisibility cloak. <laughs> It is not an invisibility cloak, unfortunately. It is just oh, okay. reflective, but that's a great question. I mean, if you're in space, it works great that way, I suppose, but... It doesn't make Calamity invisible. It just looks like they're wearing a scarf made out of solidified mercury. Oh, that's cool. That's really yeah. cool. Well, friends, we have a bit of a choice ahead of us. Over there is Captain Bonable Jace and her crew. We could continue our counterboarding and attempt to take their vessel from them, or... We could try to be good neighbors and go over to that ship, gather some of that material, try to cover over these solar panels. And since somebody put a lot of effort into making sure that light wasn't getting in here, try to help them with that. What do you guys think? Well, I don't actually think we should take their ship because unless it can travel through time... I don't think it's as good as ours. It's rather a step down. But I did want to look for treasure. Um, but also, I guess... I kind of want to go look at the city. I mean, we could try to cover up the thing, but can, later can we go look at the city? I, I mean, want to see I do want to sort of see what happens when they get, like, power, because we don't really know why they would... Who was trying to have them not get power and why that was. And if we just let it happen, then we'd know, and then we can make informed decisions about doing the opposite of that, or making it go faster, or do, doing something else. See, diegetically cheerful music. It's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going to happen? A chime goes out as the city lights reach 10% brightness, but it's uniform. Like, lights strewn all over the different surfaces of the pyramids settle at a solid 10%, and that peel has gone out. To the northwest, the rusty buzzard, which has miraculously managed to land or crash rather face first so that it is upright. An emergency hatch <laughs> pops off and smoke and steam emerge from inside as a barrel-chested short balding man is shoved out hands first and tumbles out of the ship and lands badly <laughs> on the glass below. Oof! Oh, what was that? A breathable captain! You were right! We don't need spacesuits after all. She's gonna take her time. It's gonna take her a minute to get out as well. Does it look like there's a ladder on on the outside of their ship at any point as far as getting up to that hatch or There's not a ladder per se, but there are rungs. Like hand hand footholds, right? Yeah, there are hand footholds okay. uh, soldered to the exterior of the hull. Captain Bonable Jace emerges slightly covered in soot and giving her I implant a bit of a percussive maintenance to get it going again and climbs down and looks around. The minute she hits the ground, I would like to yell out to her. Captain Jace, we are ready to accept your surrender after we successfully counterboarded you and forced you to crash here. She draws, she draws on you so fast. When you're calling for her surrender, 
Uh, she doesn't fire, but like it's muscle memory at this point for her to reach and pull for what looks like a laser blaster at her side. The smaller man is like, oh, we're doing it now, all right? And he fumbles over himself and like reaches into his holster. He's like, oh, yeah, you hold it right there. Bonable looks at you, starts stalking closer. Like it's going to take you guys a minute to get like conversational, but you saying, ahoy, we're ready for you to surrender has immediately gotten her dander up. You haven't defeated a thing. You, you tricky little clock sellers. What do you think you're doing to us? Calamity, I think we might need that catalog. Okay, there's so much to unpack there. We don't sell clocks. We, we repair them. Also, we are clever. I guess pirates do use guns and like, I mean, she holds up the stun baton. Like, this is a sword-like thing, right? But... I sort of, you know, it seems it's just it's more exciting to have a sword-like thing duel than than just sort of shooting at each other from far away. It really um, is. Do you think they'd agree to that, or or should I like? I mean, if you guys want to have a have a gunfight with them, then you could do that, and I could just sort of sneak around and go in the ship and and. I don't get some think treasure, I really but... want to have a gunfight with them. I no. I would like sword-like thing though. Because we have more honor than you, Captain, I will give you an opportunity to earn the freedom of your crew. Select the best sword fighter on your crew and they shall fight and face Calamity Hap, known for her skills throughout the galaxy. Calamity is actively shaking her head no, but she seems excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Jace just slaps the back of her first mate a little too hard. We've had similar challenges before and we don't mind taking them up, do we, Scratch? I do have some complaints. Oh, right, okay. And he pulls out a long, dinged up, shipped away, scratchy piece of metal and a course of electricity. Like he has to like smack it a couple of times for a single line of electricity to course up and down the edge of the sword. Right, mom, now I'm ready. Give them enough room to duel. (laughs) (laughs) Are you, are we really doing this? I hope so. I really envy her life. Like, like, did you see how many prosthetics she has? Imagine the oh. stories. So Calamity will say, mm, on sword! And then, you know, just basically run at him with, this, with, this <laughs> stuff, with, the, with the cattle prod. Okay. Calamity goes charging with an active cattle prod, which is a sentence I did not know I was going to be saying today. Give us an attack roll. This is going to be uh, strength and conflict, please, versus a contested role for uh, first mate, Mr. Scratch. Let me just take a quick look at his Stataroonies. He is attacking <laughs> strength of three. Is there, a, is there a penalty if I have a zero in a skill or do I just not add a number there? Calamity's conflict is zero. <laughs> you are at a disadvantage. Uh, however, you do get a plus two for the actual cattle prod. Okay. Just as Scratch is getting a plus two for his Electro Saber. The number to beat is 13. Okay. Might I add a story point to Calamity to help her succeed? If you want, you can root her on. I would like to cheer for Calamity as well, even if it doesn't count. For her. I, I was actually going to ask if I can invoke my focus, since I, I do not do that often. Unsinkable. Absolutely. You can, you can call on that and roll three dice and keep all three. How does that interact with disadvantage? <laughs> I don't think it should cancel it, right? No, it won't cancel it. 46, keep lowest three. That makes sense. Yeah, roll four, keep the lowest three. We'll, we'll do okay. it that way. Bang. Okay, nothing special for a 15 
plus various story points that may have happened. Nice. You go and charge Scratch, and he is able to like parry twice before you smack the Electro Saber out of his hand. It just slides and scratches across the glass towards the city. Maeve, give us an awareness roll, if you please, and intuition. Ooh, that's a five and a one for a total of 13. With a one on the dice, this is going to be a yes, but because it is still enough to notice something that is not a secret. While the fixer and the auditor are both captivated by an electro duel, Maeve is actually still looking around and following the trail of the scratch marks up the city. The sword that Scratch handily lost skitters to a stop a couple feet away, the first in a line of ants, approximately three feet long, one foot wide, and two feet tall, are marching single file out of the city, and the closest one comes to a stop in front of the Electro Saber, and its pincers wave in anticipation can I try and beat them to the sword? You can try. It's a bit of a distance. It's a bit of a hike. We'll, we'll okay. get this up for perspective. The ants are coming from here. The ship is crashed here. You guys have made it at about here. So yeah, I guess I guess it's a, a fairly close thing. <laughs> Calamity, I imagine, is just chasing Scratch around in a circle. <laughs> at I want this a sword. <laughs> you go for the sword and see an ant, the first of several, marching right for it. Give us a coordination roll to see if you can be fast enough and scoop it up. I am going to, in advance, spend two story points on this. Okay. It's coordination in what? I could say athletics. That's fine. I don't have any in that, but that's okay. You would be at disadvantage. Is that a six and a two for an 11? Am I at disadvantage? Do I need to roll again? Yes. Uh, roll one more as disadvantage, and if it's lower, you keep that one. Okay, so now it's a four and a two for a seven, but I'm spending two story points on it. I want the sword. So this is a yes, but. The but is that you and the ant both reach for the saber. Uh, you grab for the handle, the ant reaches for the other end, and you two have a little bit of a tug of war with the sword as this robotic ant looks up at you and like trills in confusion. Frustration is the wrong word, but confusion and effort of like. Sorry, it's mine. I just dropped it. Shing! And you pull it away. Okay, that's awesome. You pull this thing out of the ant's grip and it looks up at you. Now, what we're going to do is show you a picture of this lovely thing. So, we have here an ant drone that is about three feet long, one foot wide, two feet tall, and its carapace is this milky, soaped over glass, obfuscating the workings of its circuitry and everything inside. But when you pull the sword out of its hand, it looks up at you. Suddenly, its thorax flashes red underneath the glass, and there's this soft and behind it, the ant behind it glows red in the thorax. And the ant behind it glows red. As it is sending this message of conflict back to the rest of the hive, whatever it is. I think we can work this out. You don't need to do the glowy red thing. You can stop that now. 
We can talk about it. The ant does not appear to respond to your words. Calamity, you've been chasing Scratch for a good 30 seconds when you notice running around in a circle with your cattle prod. Are you actually going to try and zap him with it or are you going to get distracted by things going on? I did, I sort of, you know, she wanted us more to force his surrender, I think, than actually like zap him into unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. But she was thinking, like, if he's he, if he's actually making a go of it chase-wise, which appears to be the case given the 30 seconds, while she's chasing him, just squirt the vinegar shoot, sh- you know, squirt gun <laughs> like ahead of him so that it makes it slippery because we're, we're running on glass basically, right? That is truly brilliant. Give us a coordination roll and conflict since you're aiming for something. Wait, you don't have conflict. No, more disadvantage. (laughs) It's fine. She sounds really upset about it. Okay, so I got a one and a three for a six. Not only do you miss, you get a little bit of vinegar in your eye and it's gonna be like, oh, whoops, whoops. Awareness is going to be down by one point for 30 minutes until the vinegar irritation is out of your peeper. He's just like, ah, 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 and he might, he'll just continue to run around in a circle around the ship. Lean into Captain Jason, say. Captain, I would say from the running and the flailing, we may have won this duel? Captain Jace turns to Calamity, who now is just like rubbing an eye and I don't know if she's even holding up the prod anymore or just... Oh, no, she's definitely still chasing. Like, safety is for other people. Yeah. But Jace <laughs> looks at the fixer. Best you'll get is a drool. Okay, that's terrible. The captain just rolled a four with a one on the dice, so she did not notice straight away what Maeve has noticed and is doing. So you've got, I'd say, a good couple of seconds before she turns her head and actually sees what's going on. Can I get a awareness roll, please, from Calamity and Fixer, and we'll throw the auditor in too. Uh, Give us an awareness and intuition roll. Sure. Versus 12. I got a six and a four on the dice for a total of 15. You absolutely notice the line of ants glowing now, an ant line to the city. Calamity with your minus one. Yes, I got a I got a three and a five for a 13. Okay, yeah, like you're looking like, am I doing it right? This is fun, right? You're having fun. Like what are those red flickery things? What are those oh. red blinky things? She actually stops dead, like running. Um, not because she noticed the ants, because she thought of something. She, she stops dead and like turns back to the fixer and says, fixer! I need an eye patch. <laughs> and, and then, and then she gets distracted by the ants. Maeve is fully trying to reason with the ants because most of the technology we found can be reasoned with in some capacity. So, like, I am sorry. There were pirates. We needed to fight them. I am going to keep the sword. The ant ignores you. It does not try to grabby it back with its pincers, but makes no sign that it has either understood or acknowledged you and starts marching closer to the pirate ship. The minute I've heard both from Captain Jace that she's willing to have a draw and I see that there's another threat on the horizon, Mm -hmm. I'm going to point at the glowing red ant and say, Captain, I accept your draw. I believe we have a threat to both of our crews. Well, it is... She turns. She's still got the pistol in her hand. She never put it away and sees the ants slowly, gradually coming right for you and fires. She pistols off a shot immediately, and that is not a bad hit. Five plus coordination for aiming is 
three, that's eight, plus conflict is three. That's 11 plus two for the actual blaster pistol. And the ants, which are not trying to dodge, mm -mm, get the averagest average. So it gets the averagest average of getting shot in the face. One of the ants, ant number two, immediately <laughs> erupts. It takes a massive <laughs> blaster shot and falls over dead. And the light red glow from the ants behind it in line turn a deeper red and flash twice as fast back to the city behind them. Well, I don't think that helped the situation, Captain. But all those things. And she gets ready to fire again. I would like to stop her from firing. How far away is she? <laughs> the rusty buzzard is here. You guys are roughly here. The ants are here. You can, absolutely. Are you trying to get in her way? Are you trying to attack her? Are you trying to, like, stop? No, wait, don't. Am I close enough to get, like, close to her? Like, I, ha I have a sword. <laughs> For the sake of simplicity, we are in action rounds now since the ants are doing and your guys are attacking each other and the ants are here. So, yay! With the ants approaching and Captain Jace firing and Scratch realizing that the, the fight is over, the ants are largely ignoring Maeve. After the first one lost the sword and deemed Maeve as somewhat unimportant. I don't appreciate that. <laughs> The ants have made an ant line for the crashed buzzard, which is the closest available thing. However, with the blaster fire, that means that they are now on the attack and uh, will be heading for the ship and for the captain. And we have these little ants. One goes towards the ship and the next one heads for Bonneville and the third goes towards the ship and the fourth starts to head. This is all very slow going. Sure. I'm going to, uh, yes, Calamity is going to fight. I mean, fight is in really big quotes, given Calamity, because mm. like, it's going to involve a squirt gun, but <laughs> Mike kind of is doing, I don't know. <laughs> but yes, like she assumes that vinegar and electronic components don't interact well, so she's going to just sort of hose one down and see what happens. But That'll be the hope. We will get to fighters. Uh, do we have any talkers in this first action round? Turn to the companions and say, I believe the... Noble captain has decided to distract our opponents, giving us an opportunity to make it to the city. We may want to take advantage of that. Wow. What? Thank you so much, Captain. I will speak for the rest of my life about your great heroism today. <laughs> you truly have turned everything around. I'll turn you around! Fixer, they were going for the sword before they went for the ship and the captain. I'm wondering if uh, this is a good place to leave the TARDIS? Maeve, that's a great idea. Let's head back to the TARDIS and see if we can bring that into the city rather than leaving it out here to be salvaged. Yeah, Ooh. I would like our ship to not be salvaged. But the the ants are going to take our treasure from their ship. Yes, Calamity, but we did end in a draw with the captain and therefore technically it is still her treasure. And if we were to take it, that would step over that agreement of the draw. Oh. I know, it's a bit frustrating. Okay, fine. I need an eye patch though. As we're running, can I try to take some of her scarf and cut it into an eye patch? She can get a proper one from the from the ship. Yeah, there's sure. probably one in wardrobe somewhere, but you cannot yes. run and work on fancy material at the same time. That's 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 not going to work. You race back for the TARDIS. Over your shoulder, you hear more blaster fire from the captain. You glance over your shoulder and the ants have redoubled. They're coming out two by two now and they are, their pincers are uh, snapping for that tasty, tasty tech. 
I'd say about 30 seconds pass and you run into the TARDIS where the scanners are still stone dead. Because of the double ones you rolled before, it would be dangerous to try and fly without the scanners on, but that is an option. If we're not invo involving any time travelers and we're doing a much more traditional propulsive, just fly over the city walls and land, mm. can we have uh, companions act as spotters to visually reconnoiter as I'm flying? Right, can we just open the doors and then help him steer? Like, like you know, when somebody is like waving you into a spot. <laughs> like, we're crewing a, like we're crewing a ship. Um, that is how it works. I'm adjusting the mainsail, I mean door. Full speed ahead. Full speed ahead. Maybe half speed ahead. <laughs> As you guys are gearing up to physically fly the TARDIS, the auditor just raises an eyebrow. Are we sure we want to move this closer to where the ants are trying to take things? It's just a question. Have we noticed the ants using any element of propulsive force, or do they appear to be ground-based? These do not ha appear to have any kind of flying tech. These are robots, they are large drones, but they, do not have, they have not shown any capacity for flight. Well, team, Calamity, I'm putting you in charge of getting some ropes together. Wait, what do we need ropes for? Oh, well, we're going to set the tar TARDIS into a hover above the city. We'll slide down the ropes onto one of the pyramids and head on in. So we need ropes then. She'll start looking around for ropes. Okay. Sounds fun. I've always wanted to do an air insertion. They talked about it in school and we never had a chance to try it out. The auditor says, yes, they've talked about a great many things that didn't necessarily work out as they intended to, but I'm excited to be a part of it. Calamity, give us an awareness and intuition roll to find rope for the purpose of tying some knots and hopefully repelling, assuming that the TARDIS can get where we're trying to get it. Maeve, are you on spotter duty at the doorway <laughs> holding on yes. to something tight? <laughs> I'm holding on tightly and just going, uh, a little to the left. Okay, a little to the right. All right, back it up a little bit. <laughs> no, no, my left. Oh, see, I was, I, cause I was ready for like, for hips to be involved and then we're literally doing the time warp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, this is going to be more difficult than a typical flight through space and not time because the scanner is completely dead. So you are flying at a 21, and Maeve is going to be using awareness, intuition, to assist with the piloting. Calamity, did you have any luck finding a rope? Depends on what you define as luck. I got a one and a five for an 11, so that is a form of luck. Yeah. Um, I have a suggestion. Uh, Calamity, unable to find rope, just comes back with an arm full of yarn uh, because she made sure that they had some because she heard that the fixer was gonna knit. <laughs> she's looking for rope and she's come back with yarn. Great idea, Calamity, but we don't have time to knit a rope or a ladder yet. All right. I rolled a two and a six for a total of 15. Okay, that is not some bad navigating. Fixer, against a difficulty of 21. This is going to be ingenuity. This is going to be transportation, plus two for Time Lord, against a difficulty of 21. You're not at disadvantage because you are getting help. I'm showing right now a two and a three on the dice for a total of 12. How many story points would I have to spend to at least get us up to a point where we are in a safe position over the city? A 12 is at least two, if not three levels of failure to get through. How many story points do you presently have? I only have three remaining. Three story points would, would uh, allow you to land somewhere out of the way inside the city gates on the far side of, of the wall. 
but staying airborne with no means of securing any kind of ascent or descent, I don't think is going to super work. On the bright side, your ship's exterior does look like a wooden shop. So with luck, it's possible the, the ants would ignore it. Okay, then I want to make sure we get there safely. Maeve did bring up a great point about how we would be worried about the uh, ship being salvaged, so let's do that. Let's fly it in and then land it and shut everything off so it doesn't draw any attention. Okay. And I'll use my last three story points to make it happen. You grip the console, fly, completely avoiding the dematerialization circuits, and at once the clock shop just lifts up off of the black glass planes leaving behind the, the fallen off claws and tethers swings on an arc. It's not your most graceful flight. The TARDIS swings up and elevates to roughly, I'd say, 40 feet off the ground and uh, eventually comes down on the softest landing you've had in a while, roughly about here off on one of the side streets. And like when you power down, everything is The ship is not dead, but it is in very, very, very sleep mode and will need time later to activate up again in order to power up and fly off. Put a hand on the console and say, don't worry, we'll be back soon. Maeve, give us strength and survival for your trip watching with heights involved. Uh, a six and a five for a 15. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Not only do you manage to keep a grip, but heights have never been a problem. Claustrophobia has been a problem. Like open air heights you got. And under your feet, you see, and like they're, they're not the size of ants because, you know, they're bigger than that. But you can see the line of ants steadily converging both on Captain Jace and the pirate ship. And the line of ants is coming just right down the street. You can see what looks like humanoids, you know, averaging six feet or five and a half feet of height, seated here and there like they're meditating on the streets below. The TARDIS sets down while you're still in the clock shop with the TARDIS console room behind you and the streets in front of you. You said there are humanoids? Do they look like they're alive? Can't tell that from here. They're sitting very, very still. Fixer, I think there are people or bodies or something out there. People? Actual Osirens? Oh, this Maybe. is so exciting. We have to go say hi. They were holding very still. I, I don't want you to get your hopes up too high. Well, I've, I've never met an Osiren before. Maybe they meditate or something? Maybe. They did. They were sitting. It's possible. This is perfect. We'll be able to bring back actual information on the current state of the Osirens. You are going to get such a good grade. Heading out with a lot of excitement. You step out into a vast and quiet city of almost Egyptian design. Pyramids of black glass and steel reach into the sky. Behind you, the TARDIS, your TARDIS, are slightly busted and dinged up watch repair shop. The lights within are off. The clocks are not ticking. As you shut and lock the door, maybe hang a sign inside that says closed, please return later. And the shop looks, I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb in a city of black glass and steel because it's red painted wood, but it is as innocuous as it's going to get. On the main thoroughfare, two rows of ants are 
on a sort of conveyor line. One is heading out and the other is uh, starting to head back in. The frontmost ant in its pincers is carrying what looks like a large scrap of metal that might have been ripped off the pirate ship while you guys were flying overhead. You can still hear behind you out on the plains sounds of blaster fire, but they quickly pow, 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 and then nothing behind you, but more of the chittering and the, the ants going two by two. They probably found a place to hide, right? Right. <laughs> I feel bad. I hope they don't take her prosthetics. That's just rude. The streets before you are wide and quiet. Humanoid, jackal-headed aliens dot the streets the size of a man each. Are they meditating? Why are they all just sitting there? I would like to go have a closer look at one. Okay. As would I. Fixer, Maeve, you approach, and even from here, you can see that the ants are ignoring you completely. On their circuit, and they are doing their job, are tuning out distractions. They pay the four of us absolutely no mind. The Fixer and Maeve approach the closest siren. Give us an awareness roll, please, with intuition. Uh, instead of that, can I use my sonic to actually take a real scan of the um, oh, of what course. I hope is a meditating figure? Absolutely. And add two for your sonic. Maeve has never seen anything like this before. I got a one and a two for a total of ten. Maeve, this is actually kind of scary looking. Something deep inside registers of like, oh, oh. You can't put your finger on it. You can't put your thumb on it. But seeing this and the ones on the street fills Maeve with dread has no name. There is no earthly reason why you would be disturbed by this, but it hits something deep. Fixer, what did you roll with your awareness and intuition and uh, Sonic? Uh, that would bring me up to a 13. The averagest average that could average. Gotcha. I love our house rules. With the averagest average to ever average, you are able to confirm that yes, this is an Osiren. Yes, this, it, this creature is dead. It does not appear that it met its end because of violent means. It is simply, it might have even starved to death, but you look around, it's just sitting there. And up and down the street, there are ones, there are twos, and they also are just sitting cross-legged like they waited for it to happen. Fixer, something is very wrong here. I don't like this at all. I think you are on the right track with that thought, Maeve. Anything that could have resulted in this many Osirens dying or being willing to give up life, starve to death, or whatever we're seeing here is a very grave threat. What is that tone? Now that you are in the city proper, let's talk about sound and proximity. When a noise is loud and big, and you are closer to the source of that sound, it can thrum through you and resonate even in your rib cage. If you've ever been near a drum line that is going through their halftime show and just pounding the ever-living snot out of those drums, the force of the volume pushes through your bones. It's the weirdest thing. And when that peal rings out, it is from within and possibly under the city somewhere and definitely towards Main Street. And that is when you hear 
not the light tap, 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 tap of light scratch marks, but footsteps marching. So the ants are going about their business, marching out of the city block and back up, carrying large scraps of metal beside them. Creatures from several yards away, bone pale, large swollen muscle bound figures without a hair on their bodies start marching. You see a line of eight men, two by two by two. They're about five feet tall at the tallest, marching down the street. Fixer, please give us an ingenuity and knowledge roll, please. Plus two for Time Lord, and the auditor is going to do uh, the Samington. I was going to ask, does their, does their outside seem to be similar to the, the white outsides of the ants? or not. You said pale, so I'm just checking. The answer is no. The ants are metallic and glass. These are like albino pale. Got a 14 with a, sorry, yeah, 14 with a five and a two on the dice. Fixer, you have never encountered a Santaran before, but you have seen them in class. Like you've seen video of them. You, you know how to recognize a, a Santaran as a five foot tall, stocky, muscle bound, potato looking thing. This is not that. This is that, except instead of darker brown hue, these are bone pale. These are albino. These potatoes look like they've been peeled. They are not wearing armor. They are not wearing helmets. They are still moving with that military precision that's been drilled into them. They hut, 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 hut starting to march down the street. It does not look like they've seen you. Since you are out of the line of sight and around the corner, you don't know if they're heading for you. They just appear to be heading out of the city. Lean into Maven Calamity and say, those creatures you see before you are known as Sontarans. They are incredibly warlike. They fight for the love of fighting. The only weak spot on their entire body is on the back of their neck. But they're normally dressed in full armor, These look like they were altered in some way, and that is deeply, deeply concerning. Anything that could have killed all these Osirens and altered Sontarans, this is not safe. This is not safe at all. Should we hide? Because I'd prefer not to fight except for, I mean, I make an exception for pirate duels, but. Mm. Yeah, pirate duels are kind of the exception, but I have a sword now, but I'd like to not use it if that's possible. The peeled Suntarans that are marching down the street from here carry like blunt objects that could be used as a cudgel. They have not been given blaster weapons, but just from their bearing, it's clear these are warriors. They know what they are doing. Intuition inclines that a, a sword fight or a cattle prod duel would not necessarily go the way that we want it to. I am going to give them an awareness roll at disadvantage. And that is a four with a one on the dice. The peeled Suntarans continue their out of the city. The leader spots the crashed rusty buzzard and says, attention troops, attack. The peeled Suntarans as one turn and go plotting after their leader towards the pirate ship. It seemed pretty clear they were coming from that main door mm-hmm. as opposed to one of the side doors? Yes. Okay. So do we find out where the Sontarans came from or do we go follow them? 
I would say neither. If we run into more of them, we will need to hide ourselves. However, since we know that they came from that door, here's to hoping there's none of them through that door. And it does look like the ants are going to that door as well. So maybe mm. we check that door first and then see if there are more Santarans on site. Okay. Do you like that idea? Okay. The auditor is gonna spend a story point for some intuition, realizing that the cannonball-shaped ship that is crashed on the planes out front is some generation of a Santaran frigate. So that explains how they got here, at least. Well, the minute the auditor gives us that information, uh, auditor, that's very, very confusing and concerning because that would imply that these ants collected that Santaran crew brought them somewhere here, and then something or someone altered them. That's entirely possible, but there's something we should recall. The Santarans, they're a clone race. They're based off of a single template. This could be a separate batch. Oh, well, that's a little bit of a relief. That batch just never made any more that got out into the rest of the, you know, universe, ah. so just didn't see any. Everybody look up. Give me an awareness roll. An intuition? <laughs> Uh, sure. Against the difficulty of 12, this is not a secret. <laughs> oh, that was really bad. Me too. We have basically the same role. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> we are a crack team. We all got ones on the dice. Oh my god, we all did. That's hysterical. Auditor <laughs> <laughs> rolled a 3 with, two, with a 1 and a 2. I rolled a 10 with a 1 and a 2. Yeah, likewise. Okay. I rolled an eight with a one and a two. Oh, boy. <laughs> so when you say look up, you mean look anywhere but up. <laughs> I was really busy focusing on the Centaurans. I was very curious. Because Calamity has already lost a point in awareness. Uh, it's been half an hour I took that off. Oh, that's true. That's true. We have been playing for another half hour. Okay. So I can just have re-sprained my eye, whatever. Let me, let me have it. <laughs> <laughs> there is such a thing as light pollution. As we all gaze up, we can still see the tear in the fabric overhead. Because we all rolled, and we all rolled this badly, we have no idea whether the hole is getting smaller or getting bigger, let alone how easy or difficult it would be for a ship that has been grounded to get back out again, let alone with or without working uh, scanners. So yeah, we're all, for the next 30 minutes, at minus one to awareness because we got a glint in our eye. Now remember at home, kids, don't stare at the sun. Fixer. Let's head to that first door on the right. Um, yes. we're, we're passing a couple of people like sitting right, like on our way to that door. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, I just wanted to see if there was anything like, did they like have anything on them that like might just give clues as to like what their deal was? Since you are from the future, the Osirens, the way they dress, there's a certain elegance to it. They have become so advanced, simple concerns like what are they gonna wear have become not terribly important. The fabric looks very advanced. None of them are carrying devices of any kind that could be pulled off or used. Here is the difficulty of exploring around a civilization that was more advanced than the Time Lords at the peak of their powers, it is going to be incredibly difficult to 
access and figure out how to use what they have made if they did not make it user-friendly. You look at the clothing of the Osiren you pass, this thing is futuristic, it's been dead a very long time, but beyond that, you're not able to gleam terribly much. Okay. You head into that door. Fixer, you are standing in a machine. The hum in the background will continue to grow louder as more and more power is restored. Can you please give us an ingenuity roll? Ingenuity and technology. And you can throw the Sonic on there. So we're looking at a one and a two on the dice for a total of 12. The one is going to make this a fairly strong yes, but half the controls have been ripped out. It looks like someone or something tried to jury rig together a console with different kinds of applicators, but lacked the proper appendages. You also see in here, there is another dead Osiren. This one is not sitting comfortably in repose. It has fallen to the side and has a large uh, scorch mark across its chest but you are unable to tell what the blast was from. That's the, the but on that. Well, this is a sign there is at least a little bit of foul play at work here. What do you think tried to, do you think it was the ants who tried to tear this place apart? I don't think so. I feel like if the ants had any sort of ranged weaponry, they would have returned fire against Captain Jace, and they didn't. They went after her in close combat. So, something else shot this poor Osiris and was able to get through any defenses an Osiren might have. This is very concerning. You guys are talking about whether or not the ants had anything to do with destroying the place or damaging the place. And just behind you, you hear the of an ant making its way into the room. It ignores you. Its eyes scan the damaged equipment and LEDs behind the eyeballs do uh, a number of calculations and the pincers deet deet to deet 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 together. The light under the thorax flashes a rather benign orange. It pinces its pincers together and forms a spark like an acetylene torch. And it begins to attempt repairs on the computer equipment at your feet. Again, it is ignoring you because you are not standing in its way and it is simply just poking at the damaged equipment, beginning to try and solder them back together. Okay, now you mentioned a, a computer console that did not look like it was an originally part of this room, something that had been cobbled together from other parts from the room. Mm -hmm. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. If that is the case, I would like to do a quick scan using my Sonic to figure out what this new computer edition is designed to do. Excellent, that is going to be Ingenuity Technology plus two for the Sonic. Got a 20 with a six and a two on the dice. Oh, bravo. You are able to figure out not only that the pieces in front of you have been cobbled together from computer terminals, various crashed ships out there, but some of them are still spacefaring. The terminal here has been built to access the computer. This place is humming, and you realize you are standing in a colossal computer. The city around you, all of the lights dim and brighten together. This is all one giant single 
machine. Look around in awe and say, I think this entire planet has been converted into a, a giant computer system. I wonder if it's sentient. Run over, start trying to activate the console. Okay, this is gonna be coordination and technology, please. Plus two for Time Lord. Unfortunately, only got, let's see, two and a one on the dice for a total of 11. You are trying to access the system. What you're able to learn is that the larger computer banks are off. They require an enormous amount of power to to get running as you've been scanning and break and looking through things. You're learning that subroutines and smaller systems are the first to come online one by one. You actually find records as you are going through. Our preparations are complete. We have perfected the machine that will allow us to access the beyond. A dimension of complexity beyond time itself. Even the Time Lords never pushed past the fourth dimension. Our technicians have taken every precaution. We will open a channel to the beyond and commune with what we find there. Our destiny awaits. Success! Success! We have made first contact. With moments of probing into the fifth, we drew the attention of a being that has yet to classify itself. Our means of communication are crude, but the power requirements to maintain the link are vast. This work is too important. Terraforming has begun. Every available square inch of our terrain is to be paved with solar receptors. We will soak up every iota of available energy. The fusion pits have also been employed around the clock. We've seen an influx of celestial activity. Meteorites have been falling like rain. Every spare crumb is being collected for fuel. The screen flickers and you see a jackal face. Emotionless, still, no sign of a mouth. This thing is making a psychic recording. The Fixer is reminded from legends at school that the Osirens were so advanced, it was believed or at least theorized that they even controlled their technology with psychic powers. You have no idea how they would go about doing that. It is completely beyond us. But the idea that someone added and forced on manual controls is starting to make a lot more sense. When the recording mentions the fifth, that is when the auditor puts a hand on the fixer's shoulder and squeezes with concern and takes a full step back from the terminal. The recording ends, the ant continues its work and appears to be pleased that the computers are coming back online. Chitter, chitter. I have a thought and I don't like the thought. Whatever they found, do you think they tried to hide from it? They were using power of the light to power the city and then they didn't want the light anymore. Maybe because this thing had seen them? It sounds like they made some kind of contact. Maeve, that is brilliant, but also deeply concerning. If something they reached out to was so dangerous and so deadly that it affected everyone on this planet, that it resulted in the Osirens or someone else wrapping this planet to make sure that sunlight wouldn't get back in to reactivate these computers, to re-allow, communication with, with whatever entity that is, I am truly worried about the consequences of this entire place powering back on and re-establishing that connection. Mm -hmm.
The ant gives a little head bop of satisfaction and goes back to work. Outside, you hear the hut, 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 hut of the Centaurans returning. Underneath the trump, 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 trump of their footsteps, you can also hear the scrapes and squeaks of boots, someone resisting as much as possible. From the doorway, and fortunately the lights are still low enough that you are not immediately visible, just keeping to the shadows in here, you can see that seven of the original eight Santarans have returned and two are dragging an unconscious, we hope, Mr. Scratch, and another two are dragging a resisting, struggling Captain Vonable Chase. Get your flipping hands off me! Oh, Captain Chase, do you know who I am? And they just say, silence, boy! You will face the congregation and they will decide what your fate will be. And they just uh, keep tromp, 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 tromping. Do the Santarans normally report to a congregation? You have never in your life heard any kind of religious cult kind of organization in the Santaran hierarchy. No. I, I was actually going to ask, because honestly, it sounded sort of like when they were talking about all of the, you know, mm. beyond stuff um, that, and, and making contact with a being that, that kind of, you know, sounded awfully familiar, honestly, uh, to uh, how a lot of people talk in the multi-haven, only they didn't use, you know, a planet's worth of science to do it. So, you know, uh, maybe it's just a god um, or something. Uh, I guess, well, if they tried to hide from it, they picked the wrong one, but congregation does sound very, um, very worshipy. The leader of the Santaran says, the congregation will decide your fate, and the rest of the troop all shout, all hail the half-life congregation, and continue tromping. That's a half-life congregation. What was the name of the congregation? All, all hail the half-life congregation. Maeve, give us a resolve and intuition roll against a difficulty of 18, please. That is a six and a two, but only a 15. This is a no but. When you hear the words half-life congregation, this is the second time today that something you've never seen or heard of fills you with dread. The but is that you are able to keep it together but it is very jarring. Like you've faced monsters, you've climbed heights, you've saved lives. And this is the second time in under two hours that something you've never encountered before or never heard from before, you realize you're standing on top of a mountain of dread, essentially, and it's been there the whole time. Fixer, I wouldn't say this without, I don't know why, something about this is wrong very wrong. I think, I don't know, maybe we just try to cover this place and then we just go. I understand your fear, and I do understand why it'd be very valid. Anything that would have resulted in the Osirens no longer being around is a, definitely a direct threat to us. But I'm terrified that if we leave this city continuing to power on, whatever it is powering towards will threaten not just us, but this entire sector of space, if not beyond it. The eighth Suntaran approaches the troop that is still marching up, and the last one raises a hand. 
reconnaissance from the front line. We will begin removing canopy from the saucer that we may be- resume work. Efforts have begun to free the ship from this mysterious shroud material across the saucer is being dealt with. We shall have the ship uncovered presently. Before we leave this room, I would like to see if I can use the added on console to reroute the power that's trying to power the computer systems to instead go to the light systems in an attempt to literally burn out those circuits. Try to just pour as much energy away from the main system as possible. Can you clarify what it is you're trying to pour them into? Yeah, uh, we've been seeing things light up around the city, right? Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that those things are able to brighten faster, but at a cost to the actual computers turning off. Gotcha. Okay. This is going to be intuition and technology, plus two for your Sonic. You are at a disadvantage here because this is cobbled together tech on top of incredibly advanced tech. Yeah, I would say this is a difficulty of about 21 if you want to reroute power of a system you don't fully grasp from one place to another. That said, the auditor will be happy to help and will just ask, what is it you're trying to do? When he says that, I'll look up from what I'm doing and say, well, it should be pretty simple. If we can force more power into the lights instead of the computer systems, I'm hoping that that will be a consistent drain on the system. It may not buy us more than a couple of hours before the computer system turns on, but it seems like every little bit of time we earn would be worth it. The role we mentioned, ingenuity, technology, plus two for Sonic, at a disadvantage, the auditor is going to help. With a three, which is a one and a two on the dice. Yeah, I'm only looking at a 15 with a three and a three on the dice. That is the averagest average, which is one of the reasons we instituted this house rule, so that things that seemed impossibly out of reach would possibly be closer to doable. This is going to be a no, but... You are able to divert some of the power from the computer core. The but is we could not control which systems, which subsystems the power went to instead, so it's going to all of them. The lights are going to glow brighter. The support systems they have are going to warm up faster, taking power away from the central core. And whatever other support systems they have are now getting more power than just their fair slice of but you have successfully diverted a good chunk of power from the computer core. Earn one story point. Turn to the team and say, I bought us a little bit of time, but not nearly as much as I hoped. Okay. Okay. Outside in the streets, the lights suddenly flare a good 10% brighter, and they are not accompanied by a peel. The ants, however, including the one that's in this room trying to make repairs, after the fact, because you're just using the computer and its job is to repair the computer, so it's not like it was going to stop you. Once it notices that, hey, you've inserted new commands, you have its attention. Its interior glows a little bit brighter. It has the alien equivalent of a exclamation point emoji flash across its thorax before it goes back to work. Deet, 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 deet. And another ant just comes into the room, assists with the repairs to the computer. Shall we use our additional time to go save Captain Jason, her crew? Well, I was going to say, yes, even if we can't figure what figure out what's going on, we should probably not leave them here. Right. You peek out into the street and you still hear Captain Jace struggling and resisting and just growling up a whole mess. The ants completely ignore her. The ants marching into the city now look in their pincers to be carrying huge pieces of scrap that have been torn off the rusty buzzer. 
a normal-sized ant can carry 10 times its own weight in terms of raw strength. And these creatures are no different. This thing can carry 10 times its own body mass. And each of these things are carrying chunks of metal torn off the hull from outside. And it becomes clear what could have contributed to the damage of some of the other ships you saw littered out there. Does it seem like the, the metal that they're carrying is structural or just edgelord parts? You can't tell from here. It could be both. They could be load-bearing okay. edge edgelord parts. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it, at least there's a chance to take them a little longer to get to something critical if, you know, they're just right. taking the spiky yes. bits first. You see these curious little creatures just marching their way towards the up the thoroughfare. Even from here, you can't see inside that chamber from here, but you can hear the doorway's wide open, and you can hear the kachunk of something heavy being dropped down a hole. And there's another little surge as the lights glow a little brighter. Can we try to sneak after the sneak in the same direction the uh, ants are taking? The, sorry, the Santarans are taking mm -hmm. Captain Jace. The auditor just says, "I wonder if those are the fusion pits they were talking about." Yeah, we need to stop these ants somehow if we're going to keep this place from powering up. We are heading back out onto the street. You are following the ants. You're sneaking your way up towards the chamber. Yes, please. Yes. Across the city, with each dump of scrap into a fusion pit, more raw matter is spun into energy in the fusion furnaces deep below the city. And the lights just get that 1% brighter. It is warm in here and getting warmer. The facility is a lab. There's no way to tell right off the bat how much of this is original materials and how much has been added later. There are rows on rows of glass cylinders big enough to hold a person. There are test tubes and computers all over the place. On the floor is a bisected circle. So these giant canisters fixed to the floor, you guys are at the doorway, at, I, I imagine at the edges of the doorway, trying your best not to be seen. The canisters are presently venting a cool white gas. The lead Santarin turns to Bonable and the unconscious, we hope, Scratch. A couple of the ants having dropped off materials and gone back one of them and walks along. The second in command of the Santarans looks at a device in his hand and he says, Sir, we have discovered an uptick in energy. Supportive systems are now drawing additional pa. The head albino Santaran says, excellent. The Half-Life congregation will be most pleased to be alerted and awake for their final tests. At which point, Bonable, like still just trying her damnedest to break free of these people. Who are you talking about? Never heard of it. What are you, what's going on here? That is when one more ant just dumps a piece of, of the buzzard down the hole. And there's a thrum and the place gets even more power. Congratulations, you have all elapsed your half hour. The great news is you are no longer have any handicaps to your awareness. That's the good news. The bad news is you have an unobstructed view of the following. 
She's screaming and arguing about who the hell the Half-Life congregation are when the canisters hiss and start to slide open. Cryogenically concluded. Systems resuming optimum function. Weapons life support sensors back online at 100%. Crucible restored to fully operational status. All systems restored. Resume operations. Resume Dalek operations at once. Out of the tanks emerge eight Daleks of strange plating you have never seen before as they raise their appendages to the sky, shouting, All hail the Half-Life Congregation! That is where we are going to stop part one of Graveyard of the Gods. I would just like to take a lovely moment with our cast and catch our breaths. Mother of goodness, you guys are in for it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Daleks! Everyone, please take two story points to fill some of your coffers. I know we've been spending some this episode. And please take two experience points for your wonderful, wonderful work today so far. Because this is part one of a double hitter. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> Kate, how would Maeve report on today's baffling, confounding circumstances? Maeve's not quite sure why all of this is so terrifying, but obviously it is very deeply terrifying for her. Uh, she doesn't really have context for this. But I think uh, that at this moment, her article would stick to the facts. We found the space Atlantis. You found space Atlantis. That's <laughs> wonderful. She's wonderful. Dora, hi. Hi. Congratulations. Calamity's only the second companion to ever make a scarf out of some of the reflective fabric. Kudos. Look at you. Thank you. It's very, very shiny. It is very shiny. It's incredibly shiny. Plus scarves and Doctor Who, you can't really. Mm, mm, true. <laughs> nice job with the duel. Well played. Oh, sure. So so right now, actually, Calamity is in much higher spirits uh, because this all makes a lot more sense now. Like the whole thing with the, you know, bl blotting out the sun and, and trying to block the power um, and, you know, the the nice robot people trying to make a god of their own. Mm. Like, it's just a religious dispute. So we can work that out. <laughs> <laughs> Very well put. Brand. The Fixer has, like, social history, like, as is part of a species that has traumatic history with the Daleks, let alone a group of Daleks referring to themselves as something special, which is never a good sign. What is the Fixer thinking of all of this as it unfolds in front of his eyes? 
trying to reassess what the threats are. Mm. Obviously, the Daleks moved to the top of the list of threats that we're dealing mm. with. It would explain why that one Osiren in that one hallway had a blaster mark on his chest, because that would probably be a Dalek beam weapon. Mm. I still, as a as a uh, as a as a player, can't connect the Dalek technology with the Keel Santarans. Is that something that uh, would be like something we would have heard about in the doctoral program, or is this something just completely new that is like, oh no, this is a new technique they're using? This is something completely new. In your defense, you have not hit all of the clues yet to unravel fully what's going on. That opportunity is still available in part two. But towards the larger mysteries, one of the things I wanted to explore, because I'm an absolutely massive fan of the original film Alien, is the idea of cosmic horror. Dipping your toe into something that is too big, too deep, too cold, and too awful to really wrap your head around and then get out of it as fast as possible. You're, you're in Atlantis, basically. <laughs> Just like they've said. You know, piecing it all together may not be the best option. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's In the Mountain of Madness, exploring through catacombs and finding not only creatures, but other creatures that might have mutated just because they were around the first creatures and none of them are explaining what's going on. You just have to like, oh crap, run for your lives. So that's where we are now, yay. But with Daleks and potato centaurs and ant drones. <laughs> See, personally, this brings the Fixer a, lo a lot of joy insofar as there were a couple of times before where the Fixer's PTSD made them think beings who weren't Daleks might be Daleks just based on their warlike behavior. Mm. So to actually see a Dalek roll out of a tube sort of hones in everything in this way. So that way, this is the threat. We've got to stop it. We can't allow this off this planet. It will only get worse if this Half-Life congregation gets off this planet. Not one. Eight. Eight. <laughs> Would any of our lovely players like to give each other a nod at this halfway point of our latest scary adventure? Calamity, that sword fight was brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> that was wonderful. Nicely done. Nicely done. I'd say that's definitely worth an extra experience point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was, yeah, there was no way she was not going to latch onto Pyro. <laughs> 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 it's just, it is a, really, it is the, the it is a, an extremely appealing life, lifestyle for a, for a serendipitous. Hi, diddly dee. Yeah. I think that, uh, like, honestly, the, uh, like, Maeve's, like, diligent yes this is my sword and we wrestled over it but i won and now you know we're gonna have to emotionally deal with mm -hmm. that and have a <laughs> like not gonna give it back but we're gonna talk it out Maeve is now the owner of an electro cutlass we'll call it that instead of a saber because who needs that kind of overlap in their lives you now have an sure. electro cutlass it is in need of repair and charging <laughs> But yeah, you can go ahead and put in parentheses next to it, two slash four slash L for the amount of damage it does, should you manage to get an attack with that thing. Unlikely. I love that we have, we have a reporter on the TARDIS with their own newspaper app. So I can feed in foreshadowing an episode or two early, like, oh, hey, this artist is getting ready for their next show. Or like, oh, hey, these ships have been sacked and destroyed by Bonneville Chase. Careful out there. <laughs> I remember there being a new story about Santarans that came over, but I didn't remember the Bonneville Jays mm. one. No, yeah, Calamity definitely remembered the space pirate. Although I do think that there were, were there Santarans on Caspian 6? I remember something about Santarans. 
I think you might be thinking of the Zygons. The Zygons were relocated. Oh, I was thinking of the and Zygons. the Silurians. Sorry. You guys faced this. <laughs> I know it's a lot. You guys faced the Silurians. Rutans. You faced the Rutans on Caspian 6. All these names. Yeah. So many names of weird things. <laughs> I hope you're still having fun. I'm having a hoot. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Facing fears is a huge part of Doctor Who, both thematically and just, you know, through the course of your day. But you guys are doing a great job. I would also like to give uh, Kate credit uh, as Maeve for bringing to the Fixer's attention that the ants would have been a threat to the TARDIS in, in mm. that moment. Because honestly, Fixer was just gonna walk on into the city and not worry about anything. And she is absolutely right. Protecting the TARDIS is one of our main mm -hmm. goals. Absolutely. Like I have run this mod a number of times over the last decade and have made updates for you guys for a number of reasons, but not the least of which I want some of the challenges to be tailored to you guys personally. But having something that already exists and following the plan of this is what will happen if the heroes do nothing, there are beats that unfold in the first half because we can never thwart step one of the plan. That's not exciting at all. And this is where we are and it's it's just unfolding and it's, it's, it's nice. And finally, to our listeners, another great big thank you for sharing your precious time with us. If you feel it's been well spent, Please share anywhere but now with your friends who are looking to enjoy themselves. If you like what you hear, leave a review, rate the show, and follow us on Blue Sky, as well as Twitter at Anywhere But Now, and wherever you get your podcasts. Send your questions, fan art, and theories if you got them to AnywhereButNowPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, if you'd like me to run a game of your very own, find me on StartPlaying.Games. Links to everything in the doobly-doo. From all of us, I'm Casey Jones. There's exciting things to come, my friends. I'm glad you're along for the ride. Thanks so much, and have a great day. Bye.